After spending a freezing night locked in the garage, eight-year-old Thomas Valva died of hypothermia on January 17, 2020. Despite being remembered by those at his school as a tender, loving boy who made tremendous gains during his time as a student, this sweet child's life was intentionally ended by the two people meant to take care of him. Welcome back to the Family Ties Podcast. I'm Kelly Ritchie. Thank you for joining me today. On the surface, this seems like a pretty straightforward case of child abuse and murder, but below the surface is a story that is more sinister and shocking than I had initially anticipated. So this episode is going to be a little bit longer than most, uh, just because of all the details that are publicly available. Uh, It tends to be pretty rare to have much background information on these cases, especially when it comes to children. But with this case, I'm not going to be able to fit everything in. So we're just going to dive right into it. In 2017, Michael Valva, Thomas's father and NYPD transit officer, had recently been awarded custody of his three sons, Anthony, Thomas, and Andrew, in his divorce from Justinia Zubko Valva. Also involved in this story and subsequent murder trial is Michael's ex-fiance, Angela Polina. Long Island News 12 reported on January 19, 2020, that police were called to a home on Bittersweet Lane in Santa Mariches around 9.40 a.m. Friday for a report of a child who fell in a driveway. Police say the eight-year-old boy was taken to Long Island Community Hospital, where he was pronounced dead. Thomas died at the hospital from organ failure with his cause of death documented as hypothermia. I would like to pause here and say that some of the articles that I came across initially report that Thomas was a healthy young boy who seemed well cared for and who tragically died in what seemed to be a shocking accident. According to the Bronx News 12, Thomas Valva was in the 84th percentile for his body mass index at the time of his death for children his age and was described by Dr. Kaplan as a well-developed child. During the trial, Dr. Melian Quaha testified on behalf of Michael's defense about how during Thomas's visit to her urgent care facility in May of 2019, at the time of the exam, all of his vitals were recorded as normal. However, in other stories, like the one published by The Independent UK, one of Thomas's teachers tearfully testified in court hearings that she recalled giving snacks to the boy who was so emaciated that he would eat crumbs off the school floor and hoping that Angela, Miss Polina, wouldn't find out and retaliate against the children. The school's principal also testified that the children often arrived at school with scratches on their faces, their cheeks red, and cooled to the touch, and covered in feces and urine. Actually, cold to the touch, not just cool. Sorry, my correction. So, was little Thomas a well-developed child, or was he emaciated and begging for food? This was the first major major bit of kind of inconsistency that I came across. Um, Just wanted to kind of point that out. So where does Thomas's mother, Justinia Zubko-Valva, fit into the story, you may ask? After her divorce from Michael, Justinia spent the next several years fighting the custody decision. In an ugly battle that would continue to rage, Justinia claims that she lost full custody of the children two years ago because of false allegations, reports the Long Island News 12. In addition to actively documenting and reporting the physical signs of abuse on the children and pleading with CPS to award her custody, the Long Island News 12 reveals that Justina just kept telling the judge, if you're not going to remove the children, 
they are going to die under his care and custody. Justinia went on to say that there was evidence, hard evidence, reports filed. Children were telling her about the abuse, but nothing was ever done to protect her children. Since the trial started in late September of this year, 2022, Michael Valva and his fiancée, Angela Polina, have been charged with second-degree murder and child endangerment charges. And since then, more has come out that reveals the true conditions that the children and Thomas lived in. In February of 2020, in an article titled, Prosecutors Outline House of Horrors, Abuse That Led to Thomas Valva's Death, the Long Island News 12 reports how prosecutors outlined what they say was a long history of physical and psychological abuse at the hands of Michael Valva and Polina. The abuse revealed in court includes all three boys being denied food to such a degree that the boys would go to school and eat crumbs off tables and search for scraps in garbage cans and under the bleachers. The Long Island News 12 also reports that police say Michael and Angela repeatedly subjected Thomas and his older brother to cruel forms of punishment, including food deprivation and exposure to screen to extreme cold. The family's former nanny says that the two boys, both having autism, were often mistreated. In fact, the New York Post reported that in a letter written by the school psychologist, that his biggest concern was that Mr. Valva and his fiancée, Angela, do not understand the depth of Anthony and Thomas's disabilities. So, it's important to note that Angela Polina was just as actively involved in the abuse, you know, perpetrated against the children as Michael is. Uh, in fact, it's reported that Angela sent videos of Thomas freezing and laying on the cold garage floor on the night of his death. I'm assuming here that they're referencing that Angela took these photos and sent them to Michael Valva. Um, that just seems to be what's implied here. But temperatures during the night in the garage that led to Thomas's death were absolutely frigid. It was 19 degrees while Thomas was inhumanely locked in the garage, nearly naked, with his sweatpants down around his knees and no blankets in sight. Suffolk County District Attorney Tim Sini said Michael Valva and Polina watched him die and showed not only any regard for his life, but they showed callousness that I certainly have never seen in my time as a prosecutor or as a police commissioner. As more autopsy information was revealed, Bronx News 12 reports that the jury was also shown photos taken during the autopsy of bruises to Thomas Valva's head, including his forehead, nose, eyelid, and upper lip. Dr. Kaplan, who performed the autopsy, testified that the injuries must have been recent and that those injuries could not be sustained from one single fall. In addition, Thomas's stomach had brown spotting in it, which is common in hypothermia cases. According to New Jersey 12 News, during the trial, when the defense tried to sell the jury on the idea that Michael did not intend for Thomas to die and tried to save his life, the prosecution presented compelling yet heartbreaking audio from the Valva's home security footage, and it showed that Michael could be heard screaming and hitting his son as he was dying, saying, are you alive? Are you alive? Are you alive? Each question was followed by the sound of a slap. Lead prosecutor Carrie Ann Kelly says that's not someone who cares if the child lived.
The prosecution also revealed how the boys were also forced to stay in their rooms without access to the bathroom. If they soiled themselves, they were allegedly made to sleep in the cold garage as punishment. No mattress, sheets, blankets, pillows, nothing. In addition to making Thomas sleep outside in the garage, prosecutors stated that Michael sprayed Thomas down with a hose outside, despite the freezing temperatures. So let's talk about their school for a bit. Um, School officials have testified in court that they flooded the CPS lines with reports of abuse. The Independent UK article goes on to say that it's unclear why the children were not removed from Mr. Valva's care after the many alleged reports, but Ms. Zubko Valva filed a wrongful death lawsuit against school and CPS workers, claiming that her desperate calls for help and their children's suffering were blatantly ignored. So, you know, while I completely understand Justinia's wrongful death lawsuit against CPS, I kind of get the impression that the school did a little bit more than is usually required of them on this front. And, you know, if what the school board claims is true, I'm sure they've handed over plenty of evidence that would corroborate how often they reached out to CPS. I'm going to venture a guess here and say that Michael's status as an NYPD officer might have played a role in why this wasn't fully investigated. Let me also be clear here and say that CPS, time and time again, fails children left and right who desperately need help. And that often leads to that child being murdered. So right now, CPS and Michael Valva and Angela Polina are looking pretty gross. Pretty, pretty gross. The Independent UK article goes on to report that another teacher testified that Thomas was hungry so often that she decided to keep a journal entry every time he asked for food according to the New York Post. She often gave him snacks and sent him to the cafeteria, but would later face disapproval from Miss Polina, who allegedly said Thomas was manipulative and a liar. However, Miss Cagliano says he was so skinny. As she held back tears, she said that she could feel the bones in his body. In one instance, Miss Cagliano recalled before the court that she gave Thomas a pear and cracker after he soiled his pants in 2018, which unleashed Miss Polina's rage. She was not happy with me, Miss Cagliano said. Justinia, Thomas's mom, gave News 12 documents that she said are from the East Marita School District. The paperwork alleges Thomas Valva and his older brother Anthony were crying in school because they were not allowed to eat at home. How dark is that? Her paperwork also says Thomas Valva once came to school with a black eye, another time with a bruise on his forehead because his father threw a book bag at him. And uh, she also says, there's a report my older son was locked up in the garage with no heat. He came to school with frostbite on his hands and feet. Now let's return to my thinly veiled suggestion that Michael Valva's NYPD status played a part in the lack of response from CPS. More school officials testified that Thomas was extremely emaciated and his older brother Anthony, then 10, would attend school soiled in urine, and one school official stated that we felt as a team we weren't getting the results that we wanted to see. We decided as a team we were going to just flood the CPS hotline with calls. The principal said that the reports led to accusations from Mr. Valva that school officials were harassing his family. How convenient is that? And let's make a note here that even though Michael Valva was later suspended without pay by the NYPD, that it does not mean 
that this case was investigated in a completely above-board manner. In fact, Justinia posted to social media that the time of Tommy's brutal murder that resulted in his tragic death was purposefully manipulated and disclosed to the public as inaccurate. First of all, Tommy was discovered by EMTs with his body temperature at 76.1 degrees Fahrenheit. That's in his medical report from the hospital that he was taken to. The average living human being has a body temperature of 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. So when a person dies, their body begins to cool by about one to two degrees every hour. So let's do the math. 98.6 minus 76.1 equals 22.5 degrees Fahrenheit difference. You should also know that the body temperature is maintained stable for 30 minutes to an hour after death before starting to decrease. So although this can persist for five hours in extreme cases, when they did the calculations, they noticed that Tommy was not alive between 11 hours to 22 hours prior to when he was discovered. Valva, Polina, and their corrupted team spent all of those hours tampering with the evidence and much worse, Tommy's body to cover up their crimes. Now you understand why Tommy's autopsy report has been unlawfully hidden from me for the past two years and nine months by the Suffolk County Medical Examiner's Office and Suffolk County DA. Also, it is crystal clear now why Suffolk County DA claims that the video images from the 24-7 surveillance Nest security system installed in Valva and Polina's Center Mauritius home magically got erased. Hmm. And they cannot get them back. Lies beyond any words, she says. Suffolk County, yeah, she's not happy. And I can see why. So, and before we go, you know, judging Justinia as being hysterical or letting her pain put crazy thoughts in her head, the New York Post seems to corroborate the claims of tampering, saying that Michael Valva put the boy's body in a warm bath in order to attempt to raise his body temperature. Medics rushed the boy to Long Island Community Hospital, and when he arrived there, his body temperature was just 76 degrees. That's pretty, that's pretty cold. So on the first day of the criminal trial proceedings in The People versus Michael Valva, Justina posted this to social media. And before I read this, I'm going to just say, thanks to Justina, there is all kind of court documents um, keeping everybody up to date with everything going on in the trials, investigation, all of this stuff. She has a lot of records that on her um, social media that she has shared, which is why there is so much information on this. Um, she has really been a champion for really getting this out and for people to hear about this. So way to go, Justinia, for all of that effort. But on the day of the proceedings, she said, um, this was September 28th of this year. Dear friends, the first day of the criminal trial proceeding, People versus Michael Valva in the brutal murder of my eight-year-old son, Tommy, and horrific sexual and physical and mental abuse of his brothers, unfortunately began with very concerning Judge Condon's decision of not allowing media to broadcast the criminal trial proceeding. Both attorneys for Valva, Locturo and uh, or Loturco and La Pinta, as well as Suffolk County DA, joined the motion to prohibit any video and only allow some photography. Unfortunately, the court again fulfilled both parties' wishes and granted their motion. Moreover, the media reporters were instructed to take pictures of Valva 
without his handcuffs to not damage his perfectly created image of transferring murderer into movie star. I'm, you know, this, she's upset. The media was not allowed to have any evidence related to this case. Uh, This unlawful court decision came as a surprise to the media reporters who were told originally that they are allowed to broadcast the trial proceeding. There's absolutely no reason for Judge Condon to restrict public access to this case by prohibiting media from recording live videos of the trial. Any impartial and just court would ensure unobstructed and open access to this trial in order to stop any hidden manipulation and falsification that violate the due process of law. This court's decision shows that our constitutional rights are in great danger of being violated. Media outlets have the right to file an appeal on the issued court's decision, but the problem is they are willing to pick this fight and defend their legal rights to broadcast this trial, as it happened in many high-profile criminal cases around the country. Um, In regards to the opening statements that were issued yesterday by Suffolk County DA and attorney for Michael Valva, The most important fact are that both parties are hiding from the public pertains to their evil plans of presenting false and inaccurate date and time of Tommy's murder by Valva and Polina. So there's a lot of information on social media where she's kind of bringing up these facts that show why this has been mishandled or why his status as a police officer has kind of impacted the media's ability to access this, this case, these proceedings, regardless, she posts a lot. And if you want to know more, uh, at the end of this episode, I'll kind of let you know where you can find more information. But she's saying that at the time of the par- at the time the paramedics and EMT personnel came to Valva and Polina's house after receiving the 911 call, Tommy was not alive for approximately 11 to 22 hours based on his body temperature, which we discussed earlier. So She's basically saying that they're misreporting his the the date and time of his death um, to fit more of what Michael wants this to to look like. Um, so take that with a grain of salt. So this time lapse was desperately needed for Valva, Polina, and their corrupted team of individuals to tamper with crucial evidence in this case to ensure that both murderers, Valva and Polina, would not be prosecuted to the highest extent of the law. So with that being said and stated, on October 26th, 2022, Bronx News reported that the prosecution rested its case Thursday in the murder trial of Thomas Valva. Not long after the people rested their case, the defense made a motion to drop the second-degree murder charge against the father. The judge denied that motion, and Long Island News 12 also reveals that in court, a judge said the defendants are a flight risk and denied them bail. Their next court appearance is January 29th. So, Let's just establish really quickly that there's way more to this than meets the eye. There's way more to this than what we've superficially discussed here. But let's get into CPS um, and their role here. Suffolk uh, Police Commissioner Hart told News 12 that they are in contact with the Department of Social Services and that they intend to look at every interaction Thomas has had with the social services system and investigate every avenue. However, while this may be a no-brainer, I still feel the need to make this very clear. 
police should not be allowed to investigate crimes committed by members of their own force, like they clearly have been doing in this particular case. It is also egregious to allow people to police themselves and then expect the case to be investigated in a manner that is above board. Um, We're going to discuss this more later. Keep that in your back pocket for now. But as to their involvement with Thomas, the Suffolk County Department of Social Services told News 12 that it was involved with Valva, the Valva and Polina family. It says petitions for child neglect were filed in Suffolk County Family Court in 2018. There was a court-ordered home supervision for a period of one year. Orders of protection were issued for the parents to refrain from harmful behaviors towards the children. Or else what, CPS? Seriously, this makes my blood boil. It's, it's tantamount to telling a serial killer that they're, they're not allowed to kill anyone else while allowing them to remain free and able to do as they please. It's just, I, I just can't believe that this is where we're at. News 12 also reports that CPS investigated additional complaints relating to the family. DSS said it is now reviewing the management of the case to ensure that all protocols were followed. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to hear a full report that either reveals CPS did everything they could or else they're going to be honest and admit to failing Thomas, right? That chance of that happening. Once again, why are we allowing CPS to investigate themselves and expect a truthful report from them? They're going to find every single avenue to be like, look, we did what we could. See? Oh, what else are we supposed to do? Now, as far as the the tampering, um, the suggestions by um, Justinia of the the tampering of the the crime scene and the tampering with Thomas's body. According to Long Island News 12, Justinia says that she has now been granted temporary custody of her 10 and 6-year-old boys. My children are back with me. Thank God they are safe, she said. There's such a long process of healing. They've been traumatized by this whole situation, by the way they were treated and abused and neglected. It's going to take a long time. Now, since Justinia has gotten her surviving boys back, this case has gotten even darker than anyone could have imagined. She shared with PIX11 News that her two sons with autism were sexually trafficked by their dad, an ex-NYPD um, cop, and his former fiance. Justinia had typed up a report last summer after her oldest surviving son, then 11, um, allegedly made some stunning claims to a clinical therapist. My children, after seven months under my care, started to finally open up, she wrote, and made significant disclosures about their sexual abuse, child pornography, sexual exploitation, and trafficking. And while Michael and Angela are not currently facing sex trafficking charges, the details Justinia fights to have made public are are alarming and seem worthy of further investigation. But regardless of how much this sounds like Pizzagate or smacks of a satanic cabal of child molesting and eating pedophiles, let's dig in to to, um, Justinia and her son's latest claims. As reported by PIX11 News, Justinia says that the oldest boy started revealing to a therapist that he and Thomas were taken to several Long Island homes during the period they lived with their father and Polina. 
When they would arrive, the boys were put into metal cages naked, the mother wrote. The oldest son allegedly reported four men and women dressed in black with satanic imagery on their t-shirts, met them at one home. The boy reportedly said he and Thomas would be separated sometimes and that the brothers would be abused with metal spikes and other devices after a white fluid was injected into their anuses. While this is a bit reminiscent of the satanic panic, I would be curious to hear whether this therapist believes that the oldest child is telling the truth or you know, whether they believe the boy is repeating something he was coached to say. Um, at this point in the story, though, I am pausing to remind the audience that this is all hearsay, not initially part of the original investigation. This leads me to think that either Justina was unaware of this sexual abuse at the onset of the investigation and is now trying to blow the whistle on potential sex trafficking, or she's looking to get more out of this whole situation. However, I don't necessarily know what that would be. So all I'm saying is just, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. Pix11 News also shares that Justinia states that the boys could not walk after returning home. She also added, this abuse was on camera that the adults referred to, and Michael and Angela were connected to those adults through cameras. Okay, pause. So this sounds like there could be physical proof if this did indeed incur, occur, but the story gets even stranger, like something cobbled together from some of pop culture's most famous horror movies, but, you know, prepare yourself. Pix11 News goes on to report that in another incident, the mother said that the oldest son reported he and Thomas were taken to a funeral home where coffins were lined up along with 30 evil clowns. He and Thomas were chained inside cages that were beside statues of Satan. Zubko Valva wrote, and their naked bodies were wrapped in white sticky tape material. These clowns would threaten them, threaten them, him and his brothers, with chainsaws, the mother claimed. While Pix11 News attempted to corroborate Justinia's bold claims, the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office were unable to comment since this, since this is an ongoing criminal case. I'm not going to say that I don't believe Justinia or her older son, but I'm also not going to say that I buy the whole satanic ritual and clowns with chainsaw narratives. So the surviving boys, let's just keep in mind that they've experienced so much abuse and will spend the rest of their lives trying to heal from this. But let's also keep in mind that there is no proof of, to the public right now that backs, this up, uh, backs up this version of events. So continue the grains of salt, you guys. So the allegations do persist, though, and many want them to be properly investigated. UF Health whistleblower Kathleen Maynard tweeted this September, When will feds investigate NYPD cop Michael Valva's child trafficking? His trial for murdering little Thomas starts next week, but authorities turn a blind eye to the pedo ring. Mom suspects someone important is being protected by the blue wall of silence. Okay. While this story may seem crazy, there also seem to be some undeniably fishy things that are going on with Michael and Angela that indicate there may be some kernels of truth to this. Let's take a quick look at one of Justina's Twitter posts dealing detailing some troubling information she uncovered. She says, La Pinta's ridiculous, untruthful statements in regards to Valva's poor financial situation due to our divorce proceedings 
couldn't be more inaccurate and misleading. There are 100% credible evidence submitted to Nassau County Supreme Court divorce case, Suffolk County Family Court case, and Suffolk County DA um, in the form of Chase Bank statements from Valva and Polina's joint bank account that shows shocking skyrocketing deposits from unknown sources to their account. Now, let's keep in mind that at that time, Polina was not even employed. The bank records show that Valva and Polina received the following deposits in 2017. One for $477,000 in 2018, $284,000 till March of 2019, $44,000. That's approximately a million dollars that average employees have to work 10 to 20 years to earn. Those enormous deposits came from the sexual pedophiles who paid Valva and Polina for the sexual abuse and trafficking of my three children, she claims. Suffolk County DA failed to investigate this matter despite being personally provided um, but, uh, with bank statements. Some of the statements are included in the attachments she provides. She provides a lot of documentation, you guys, so let's not brush her off so fast. It is apparent that those sexual predators involved here are very rich and powerful and unfortunately above any Suffolk County DA prosecution. She goes on to say, contrary to La Pinta's statements, Valva and Polina brought, bought their expensive house in Santa Mauritius um, in July of 2017 for $525,000. And Valva was not looking to move out of that home because joint dealings with Paulina based on sexual abuse and trafficking of my children tremendously profited both of them. Paulina even left her job at the hospital and didn't even have to work at the time. Valva, contrary to La Pinta's statements, was not overwhelmed financially and emotionally. He continued together with Paulina to horrifically abuse my children sexually, physically, and mentally starved them, and tortured them without any remorse. They were both well aware that any act of this sadistic abuse could lead to my children's death. The huge financial gains, sick pleasures of torturing my children, and protection from government and state agencies were driven both by Valva and Polina to continue their horrific crimes without end. Therefore, Valva and Polina were not planning to separate or end their evil relationship, but together continued with the horrific abuse of my children. Valva was not intimidated by Polina, and Polina was not intimidated by Valva. Both of them are cold-blooded murderers and abusers who should spend the rest of their lives in jail behind bars so no other child will be a victim of their horrific crimes. She goes on to say, also contrary to La Pinta's statements, Valva never provided any mattress, blankets, books, or TV for my kids locked up in his garage. The 24-7 Nest surveillance video recordings from Valva and Polina's home would prove that fact, but sadly they are being hidden by the Suffolk County DA in order to protect the sexual predators of my children. Now, there's something fishy here. I'm kind of breaking away from my script for a second. 
One thing I've noticed through all of, I cannot read you everything that she has to say. There's so very much, but it, it looks like Valve is trying to show some kind of evidence like, oh, um, I did give them a blanket and uh, there's a space heater out there and all this stuff. She is basically saying that he tampered with that crime scene between those 11 to 22 hours after Michael was actually dead, which seems very, very possible. Okay, so she goes on to say that Valva's attorney, Laturco, admitted on the court's record that he visited Valva's home to get a suit for Valva's court appearance before even being appointed by the court to represent Valva. They're already buddies, okay? They're already tight. Laturco unlawfully entered the main crime scene area because Suffolk County DA failed to secure Valva in Polina's home. He had a chance to tamper with evidence and now we hear stories of so many items being in the garage that help Laturco's defense, such as imaginary space heater, books, mattresses, blankets, pillows, TV, and what else? Maybe soon we will hear his false stories about a dining room table with homemade meal. Enough with this manipulation, she says. And I mean, she's, she was right when she told the judge that if he didn't remove those kids, that the kids would die with Michael. So she's not hysterical. And I urge you to go on to her, her social media. She has provided videos that kind of show Michael being um, aggressive and how he treats the kids and just interviews with the kids, kind of telling all this horrible stuff. There is so much that she has documented. And I would urge you to go take a peek at that. So Laturco and Lapinta, due to their prior concerning dealings with Valva and Polina, should be removed from this case. Um, she says they should have been removed a long time ago, and the case should be transferred to the federal court for prosecution due to the nature of her children's abuse involving sexual abuse and trafficking. Let's break down some of these allegations here. According to Justinia, the jury selection seemed biased, discriminative, unlawful and unconstitutional. She claimed that many potential jurors were sent home once it was discovered that they had children of their own. She claims it's purposefully inaccurate reporting to the public on the time and date of Thomas's death. She claims that the Suffolk County DA has access to Valva and Polina's cell phone data that clearly shows the locations where the kids were trafficked by Valva and Polina for horrific sexual abuse. She claims the DA is hiding crucial pieces of evidence related to the sexual abuse and trafficking, including other sexual predators involved, because there are people that have very high, powerful positions. She also claims that the DA is purposefully hiding video recordings from Valva and Polina's home security system that proves how often the children were locked in the garage. At the end of the day, I think that it's good for us to kind of push for more information on this. It does seem extremely sketchy that the DA is super tight with Michael. Uh, when you deal with something like this and um, you just don't wanna believe that it's true and I'm not asking you to believe that it's true. I would just like to see more information released to kind of say yes or no either way. It seems like there there could be something really fishy going on, those those massive deposits into their bank accounts, the the recordings, the you know, the, the stories that the kids told her. Now, I, I don't know if you guys have heard of false memories or things of that nature, but with the, the satanic panic, um, a lot of kids came forward 
claiming that all these things happened to them at school while they were at school. And it wasn't true. It was all of this panic that was induced. I mean, just think of the Salem witch, tri witch trials. I'm not saying these kids have been coached, but they've clearly been through something really horrific. And I'm not saying I believe in the, the 30 clowns with the chainsaws and uh, the, the graves and the funeral home. But, you know, Let's also keep in mind that stranger things have happened. Now, I would just ask you guys, how far-fetched do you think that it might be that there's a potential that children are being trafficked by law enforcement? Because we've recently heard about kickbacks for kids, judges who sell children to uh, for-profit juvenile facilities for a profit. So, and we hear of stranger things too. But just think, if what she's saying is true, there is a potential that he has friends in very high places that he was providing these services for. And this is just a hypothetical in my mind. Remember those grains of salt, you guys. I'm just trying to kind of put pieces together in my mind. But all of this doesn't add up. And I would very much like to see someone come in and demand a better investigation by um, the FBI or, or someone not within <laughs> the Suffolk County um, or New York, um, New York Police Department divisions to take a look at this. So we're going to end it there for today. Thank you guys for hanging with me throughout this whole thing. I know it's been a long story and there's a lot of moving parts. But at the end of the day, I just want us to remember that Thomas Valva was abused and killed by Michael Valva and Angela Polina. That in and of itself is indisputable. Now, all of these other details, all of this kind of newly coming out information about child sex trafficking, I very much want to see investigated further. And I feel like this isn't the last that we're going to hear about this case, especially seeming, not even seeming, especially since early on in uh, today's story, we discussed how the judge denied them bail, saying that they were flight risks. Well, I'm not saying that people who, I'm not saying that that's because of all of these other things that are kind of piled in here too, but I would very much like the relationship between Michael Valva and the, um, the court system, CPS. I'd like that relationship to be explored a little bit more. And I would like us to find out if there is indeed anything to these sex trafficking charges um, that you know, Justina is bringing forward and these children are bringing forward. So I, I don't want to invalidate what these kids are saying. You know, it seems like it's very likely that some, some really horrific things did indeed happen. So um, I would urge you to check out the, the notes in the video for um, links to Justina's social media pages where you can see all the documents. There's tons of videos. I would recommend to go watch those um, if you have time. It, it, it's a very compelling, compelling story. And I, I do hope to see more coming from that. And I will keep my eyes peeled for that. But in the meantime, let's not forget that Thomas lost his life and two other surviving children have to somehow pick up the pieces of their lives now. So on that note... Thank you guys for watching. Donate to causes that you, you feel will help children in need. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next time.